This very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore is brought to you by our generous listener supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you appreciate what we do and would like to join them, go to dollamore.com slash PayPal or dollamore.com slash Patreon. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. This very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and I am joined by the throat tickly Brittany Page. Yeah, I'm still I'm still working through a thing. So what is going on? I don't know, but I'm leaning away from the mic when you're it happens. Full, you're so falling I'm, apart. Uh, slightly. Yeah. But this is. Uh, I'm on the hunt for a new co-host. Oh. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Wow. Betrayed. And as you have seen, trust the audience, as you have seen in the information, such as the title of this episode, no we surprises. are also joined by the lovely and talented Marissa Alexa McCool from Internet Fame. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Marissa, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. And uh, I don't get to be the Drew of the episode because I am Ivy League educated, but I'm not a lawyer. So I got to be an expert on something. So I guess if you need the gay consultant, I guess I'd be good for that. <laughs> Perfect. Our, our consultantships are they're filling up very quickly. We have many. <laughs> are they? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany taking a shit right on my joke. Sorry about that. So... I'm just trying to be realistic. We're trying to be factual here. I don't have any need for facts. <laughs> yeah. That is for the cool kids. <laughs> so I wanted to have you on. I think you're a fascinating character. Well, that, that Maybe that was a little shitty. You're, a, you're quite the character. Ha ha. Um, as with many of our guests, when we get into have them you know, come in and talk to us, I want to know a little bit about your background. You host, first of all, you host... You're the hardest working gal in showbiz. <laughs> you, you host like 45 podcasts. You've written like 125 books. And um, I, I want to kind of know what the what led to to who you are today. Did you grow up with a religious household? Tell us a little bit about your uh, your backstory, yes. as it were. Well, I definitely did not grow up in a religious household. But part of the reason for my activism, especially in the atheist community, has been that a lot of people who are in the atheist community think that once they get the answer to the God question right, that suddenly they're free of all religious and cultural influence. And as it comes to people in the LGBT community, especially trans people, that is not the case. That, uh, you know, just because they don't believe in God doesn't mean that uh, religious thought and influence and bigotry has not affected them in any way. And a lot of my activism revolves around not only educating Trans 101, uh, trying to help people uh, adjust to the idea that maybe they've never met a trans person, because they probably have, but you know, I, I just try to be a relatable personality. Uh, I practice what some people call radical vulnerability, which essentially means I'm very transparent about how I feel, how I think, 
even in the bad times, even in my really rough periods, because I feel like if we only present ourselves when we're feeling good or when we're happy, it it dehumanizes us a little bit. It doesn't give people something to grab onto. And especially being a relatively privileged member of a society of a of a marginalized group as I am, I try to be transparent about the negative things and the troubles that I go through in in order to help those who may not have the support network or the economic stability that I do. But um, to answer the rest of the question of how I grew up and how I got to the position that I am, um, I was out of school at 15, uh, not because I wasn't smart, but because the school essentially in elementary school went, well, you're way ahead of everybody else, so why don't we put you on independent study for five years, and then let's see what happens when you hit junior high and have no social skills or any idea of how to participate in school. That'll go great. Wow, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, so uh, after years of essentially giving up on me, not treating me for autism, and of course me struggling with uh, my gender, which I didn't have the words for at the time, but retrospectively I'm pretty much aware of, um, got married way too young, had kids way too young, got divorced way too young. And, you know, my early 20s is just a haze of failure and sadness. But it also gave me a lot of perspective and a lot of empathy for people who struggle and for people who are members of communities that tend to look down on someone who is sleeping on somebody's couch or someone who lives in someone else's house because I had to surf couch surf for a long time yeah, and yeah. you know I, I moved out here to Minnesota the first time for what I thought was the job of a lifetime and they never bothered to tell me that it was seasonal until the day they let me go oh, <laughs> so wow. I moved half, yeah so I moved halfway across the country and then just ended up having to start over again so what I did was I moved back to Pennsylvania which is where I grew up and I said I'm never going to let this happen to myself again. And I went back to school. And two years of community college did me well enough to get into the University of Pennsylvania, which is, of course, one of the uh, eight Ivy League schools. And I, of course, had to graduate from there right about the time that it's one of its uh, not so fondly remembered alumnus get elected president. And <laughs> mm. it's like, yeah, I, I paid through the nose for an education that suddenly became an embarrassment, right? As I'm about to get the piece of paper. Great. Yeah, the most infamous of its alum, probably Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you said that you weren't raised in a religious household. Were your parents atheist then? Or what was the, the situation there? Well, my mother is Methodist, so she's Christian, but not, um, you know, anti-gay or, um, you know, Presumably, not much in the way of gender roles. Uh, it, my coming out as transgender has sort of challenged some of her preconceived notions, and uh, that's a different story. But my dad is what he calls himself a fatalist, which is when your number's up, whatever, your number's up, whatever, so just do what you want. And he's come a long way since I was a kid. He used to be a lot more conservative and a lot more narrow-minded, and I, I don't have political conversations with him. I don't have, you know, uh, debates or anything like that. But being able to have conversations about sports and things like that, as opposed to the fighting that we had because I was feminine and he did not get that because he was a frat boy, 
Like it's it's come a long way in a positive direction. Mm. Well, did did your did your parents like I don't know. Look, you know, we've talked about it on your show and uh, I'm sure I've mentioned it on my I don't know. I don't have a a large network of trans individuals with whom I'm I'm close. So it, it's all new to me, too. Um, like, when did you when did you start having the the idea that you were you were different than like the other kids? And and then I guess the second part would be, did your parents ever have any idea um, of what was going on? Oh, yeah. Uh, when I was a young child, uh, I was definitely different. Um, once again, it, this was late 80s, early 90s. So we didn't have the words. We lived in a conservative area and I ended up going to a very conservative elitist school. So I never learned what trans was. But it was also very obvious that I was different. And my parents just assumed I was gay, which they were right, just not the right, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the, the story they always like to tell, I think I was six or seven and I never got holes in my jeans. And they were like, oh, no, uh, she's not. You know, I, I use my correct pronouns even in past. So don't let that throw you up. Like, she's not a normal kid. She doesn't get any holes in her jeans. She doesn't get her hands dirty. And I guess. The one day I came home with a tear in my jeans and I thought I was going to get in trouble and I was crying and they're like, no, they're normal, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> right, right. When, right. And as I became a teenager, um, I got to give credit to my parents in this regard because they kept going, you know, if you're gay, you can tell us it's OK. And this was, you know, long before gay marriage was even a thing. You know, this was Doma era. This was not. Uh, exactly the friendliest time for gay people. Mm -hmm. So the fact that my parents, or at least my mother specifically, was saying, it's okay. W you know, I'm a counselor and you fit the signs. It's okay if you need to tell us anything. And what they would do is they would set me up with their gay friends. They would have uh, gay people, you know, gay adults that they knew take me out and talk to me. Hmm. And you know, that it was always like, well, you're nice, but it's I don't think it's that because I'm not attracted to men. Hmm. But I'm, you know, at the time I was very feminine, interested in the arts. You know, I, I, I fit the T. I just didn't have the right gender and I just didn't know that. So that that's kind of what it was like as a kid. I was always, you know, really smart, socially awkward and really feminine. I related to girls better. Uh, I didn't get boys ever, and I still don't, but <laughs> uh, you know, it, was, it was just, you know, I can even remember being in first grade. Everybody else was, oh, girls are weird. And I was like, why? I want to hang out with all of them. I don't want to do whatever, what, Power Rangers? What is that? No, I'll, I'll stick with this. This is good. Yeah, yeah. So what was the path to... Was it a standard path? I mean, you said you, you, you in school, you you did independent study from the time, you know, an early age. Mm -hmm. Did you graduate on a, on a faster track and that's what led you to the University of Pennsylvania or? No, no. Um, because I was on independent study, when I hit junior high, I was basically thrown to the wolves. I had no idea how to participate in school. I had no idea how to be a part of a class. I didn't know how to study, do homework. Because for five years, I was told, 
well, you're smarter than everybody else, so you, you don't have to do anything. And then surprisingly, you tell that to a little kid and they believe it. But you know, I, I just didn't participate because I never learned how. And I was socially awkward and feminine. And in school, that is about the worst thing you can be. So I was, you know, pretty much beaten up every day. Mm. And then, you know, things weren't much better at home for a long time. Uh, like I said, my, my dad, at least when I was younger, resented me because I was not like him. And, you know, th like I said, things are different now. But anyway, um, they basically wrote me off uh, at, after ninth grade and gave me the choice of going to reform school or to go down to Florida to get my GED because that's where my grandmother lived. Mm -hmm. And in Florida, you can get a GED at 16. In Pennsylvania, you have to wait till your class graduates. So I obviously chose Florida because I was troubled, but I definitely wasn't like, I, I didn't get into trouble. Yeah, right. And they sent me down there and made me take a pretest because of my age, and I aced it. So they said, you don't need classes, just take the test. And I got I, I got one problem wrong on the actual test, but because I did so well, they gave me a high school diploma instead of a GED. Oh, wow. So I, I graduated at 16, but just not in the most conventional way, which is pretty much my whole life. I, I did things that other people do just in a very different way. Right, right. Well, that must have been a relief to kind of bypass the the years of suffering in school where you're getting beat up every day and uh, it sounds like teachers weren't really coming to the rescue doing anything to intervene doing anything useful um, so it's good that you had the opportunity to circumvent all that I did and uh, you know some teachers really did try to help but at the same time I was in a super super red area of Pennsylvania and the idea of trans was never even disclosed to us, let alone anything else. So I was just written off as weird and different and, you know, uh, emotionally troubled. So I didn't get the help I needed. And of course, because of all of that distraction, I also uh, didn't get diagnosed as autistic until I was at Penn. But the, the way I was, you know, I, I tried going to school community college at 16 and once again the same problems came into effect you know I didn't have any study skills didn't know how to be a part of a class so I bombed out of that but after hitting rock bottom I just had that point of I really want to learn now I think I'm good and I went back got straight A's and then got into Penn because of my community college GPA and honor society membership which is the way that about 0.001% of people get into Penn. The rest is, oh yeah, my dad's Donald Trump. Right, yeah. <laughs> so you've you've mentioned a few times that you didn't have the, the language um, or the words to really explain what you felt was happening inside. When did you um, stumble upon those words? When did you find those words and kind of make the realization? It's a, it's a several step process. Um, in high school, Girls put makeup on me every day, and I liked it until I got beaten up for it one too many times. But uh, it was when I was 18 that I got the name Marissa, and that was because my friend had an over-obsessed ex-boyfriend and would not accept the idea that she had a boyfriend. And, you know, this was long before Me Too or anything, so we didn't have those resources, and her idea was hey, uh, would you mind dressing up as my girlfriend, Marissa, and pretending that I have a girlfriend? And I was like, yeah. 
<laughs> so it kind of happened by a happy accident. But for years, I thought of myself as a drag queen because that was the only word I had for what I was doing mm-hmm. uh, of, you know, presenting feminine and, you know, didn't know trans was a thing, didn't know anything like that until about 25. Uh, I was about 25 when I came out to a Facebook group as a drag queen and someone, a, a, a gay activist, actually messaged me and said, I don't think that's you. Drag queens are performers. You seem to be, at least on some level, living in this identity, right? I was like, yeah. So, well, here's this resource called the Queer Dictionary. You should look through this and see if anything fits you better. And I found transgender, and that fit, but I was also terrified. (laughs) And it took me a couple years to kind of stop lying to myself and adjust to the idea because I saw how trans people were treated in society. You watch any movie made before 2014 were either a serial killer or a punchline. It's, you know, it's, it's not a welcoming place Mm -hmm. uh, for us. And, you know, the area I was living in, once again, not the friendliest to anybody who's not white, straight and Christian. But uh, it was 2014 that I accepted the word and started slowly coming out to people and going to places that I thought were safe and asking people to call me Marissa. And then unfortunately I was sexually assaulted twice in one week. And that scared me into a period of numbness where I was just kind of like, if that's what's going to happen to me for being who I am, I'm better off hiding until pulse happened uh, Pulse, that's uh, June, yeah. June 2016. And I saw the list of people who were lost. And the second name on the list was a McCool. And I just kind of had that realization that if I had been there, 98% of the people in my life would have no idea who I really am. You know, they would remember the wrong name, the wrong personality. And they would have memories and images of a person that didn't actually exist. Just, It was a false presentation I put up to keep myself safe. And within a month, I was on hormones. I was very fortunate enough that Penn uh, has trans-inclusive health care. And that's not a common thing. So I was able to go on hormones basically on informed consent, which was I went to the doctor and said, I'm trans and I want hormones. And they went, okay. (laughs) And that's not normal for us. There are an awful lot of people who have to fight a lot harder for that. What is, what is the normal or the typical response when you, if someone was to go into a doctor? Um, it really depends on where you are. Uh, Some places like Planned Parenthood in some States also operate on informed consent, but there are people I know who had to live as their gender uh, socially for over a year before they would get hormones, which hmm. when you don't have hormones is rather difficult. Um, there are people who live in places where no doctor will see you if you're trans. Uh, you know, the, it, it really depends not only by state, but by region of the state. Because my school is in Philadelphia, but I also commuted a significant distance to get there. So I was kind of in both worlds where I could go to Philadelphia and feel relatively safe, and then I would come home and be terrified to leave the house. Yeah. So and, I, I, I can't... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and so, so the, 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 the hormones, the medicine, 
that is to hasten transition. Um, how how long of a process is there? Like a, a a defined thing, or is it different for every every person? It definitely reacts differently, um, both with trans men, women, and anybody who's uh, non-binary. It has different effects depending on which hormone you're taking. Uh, testosterone tends to work a lot faster and be a lot more effective, but it also depends on your age. Uh, if you're, you know, much younger, if you're still in your teens, if you haven't fully developed yet, uh, it tends to be a lot more effective, at least physique-wise. And mm. of course, every once again, everybody reacts differently. Mm -hmm. um, I've had a lot more physical changes than, from what I understand, most people my age have. Uh, I I developed B cup breasts already, and I I've been on hormones less than two years, but. For the first four months, what I did was called stealthing. A lot of trans people call it uh, when you know when they're on hormones, but they're hiding it to most people in order to stay safe and you know so that they don't have to come out when they don't feel like they've reached a certain level of development. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I gr I wanted my hair to be a certain length. I wanted to have some chest development. I, I had goals. Yeah, but sure. But then uh, a hate preacher showed up on campus for the, like the second time. And once again, I'm at Donald Trump's alma mater and it was during this election. Yeah, so wow. we were surrounded by that crap constantly. And he, once again, uh, quick context, uh, our school had a suicide problem, 13 people in less than four years. So oh, wow. the pre yeah, it was bad. It's still bad. There's been more since, but the hate preacher was essentially saying, you guys have a suicide problem because you accept the gay agenda and, you know, you let trans people use the bathroom and all that. Yeah, just typical hateful fucking bullshit that you hear. Yeah, someone who thinks Roy Moore should be the host of The Tonight Show or something. So, you know, people like that. <laughs> right. But um, I just had one of those epiphanies because at the time I'm, I'm 31 years old and most of the people who go to a school like Penn have kind of been protected uh, economically, socially, they're kind of protected from a lot of that shit. So they're confronting some of those things for the first time. And I just saw this guy. He, he wasn't just standing on the corner with a megaphone. He was like chasing people and calling them slurs. Uh, you know, he called a woman a slut for having a sleeveless shirt on. Like, this is the kind of guy we're dealing with. And I just started trolling him. And I would just argue with all of his points and make fun of what he was saying. Like, he had a uh, passages in the in his pocket bible highlighted and i would say isn't that desecrating your bible you know maybe the homo highlighters making your bible gay you ever think of that <laughs> you know shit like that and right, right. You know, he decided to do one of his self-righteous bullshit things which was uh he said who here has the guts to be judged on the bible and then my hand instantly went up i'm like pick me it was like, yeah, we're going to do a you know, scale of one to ten. How much are you going to hell? One, you're going to heaven. Ten, you're definitely going to hell. And once again, I'm just shitballing. I'm just messing with him. And he, he goes, you know, you're a nine. You're going to hell, but at least you're honest about it. I looked him dead in the face and go, you want me to make it a ten? I'm transgender. Fuck you. And I walked away. And that's how I came out. Wow. In in uh in really going for it. That, yeah. yeah, that's uh like a true showman style. I, I couldn't think of the 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 gender um, oh, neutral 
is it show person? That doesn't sound that doesn't sound as flashy. That is performer uh, style. Yeah, that that goddamn you 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 you're if you're, you're doing it, you're gonna go all in. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't come out of the closet. I kicked the fucking door down with machine guns, you know, and then um, that that was in October, and then of course the election happened, and six days after the election, I was just seeing everything that was happening i was seeing my friends were terrified yeah nobody listen, really we were right there with you sister we, <laughs> it's uh it, it was a rough time for everybody especially our audience will understand that there's still some dark times so oh sure and uh it, it hit particularly close to home not only because once again trump's alma mater but uh that monday the six days after the election uh someone added all the black freshmen to a lynching group and Jesus Christ, th- that's what set me off. I was sitting in a class with the my professor, who was the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. And it was me, her and then nine other. There was everybody was women except one guy who was just shutting up as he should have been. And, uh, you know, someone who uh, was related to people who survived the Holocaust uh, was sitting there saying, no, we need to take this shit seriously. Yeah, yeah. I just started typing on my computer, not really thinking about what I was saying. And I looked down and I had 30 pages. And it was like, oh, shit. (laughs) And I sent it to my lawyer and said, you think I could make this a book? And he says, why aren't you making this a book? And I, I just put out a flyer, you know, like, hey, if anybody wants to write something about their reaction to the election, uh, send it to me and I'll publish it in my book. And I wrote the entire book in nine days. And then I reached out to Chris Cluey, uh, the former Vikings punter who went viral in 2012 for standing up for same sex equality and then was basically pushed out of the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I, I had just had him on the show coincidentally on election night so i reached out to him came out to him and then told him the book i was writing and asked if he would write the forward and he was like yeah sure yeah that's awesome that's you you're 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 a a natural segue provider because that was (laughs) the next thing i wanted to talk to you about we're doing reverse i wanted to talk about the podcasting but let's go with the books you've written uh, a lot like a hundred books how was it four or five I just published my fifth book fifth since book. coming out. So it, if you do the math, uh, I've written five books since November last year. But uh, there were also five books under my dead name, uh, which I don't really associate because I don't want people to look that up or know what my name used to be. Yeah. But overall, I've published 10 books, over 300 columns, uh, several articles. Uh, I, I, I've, I've written a lot. Do you um, do you are you self-publishing or do you have uh, like a publishing house that is working with you now? I have a an independent publisher called Wormwood Publishing, and the reason I found them was because uh, when someone saw me writing about the book that I wanted to write, and you know I wanted to get it out before the inauguration, and I did, but they said my friend's an independent publisher, and she offered to edit your book for free oh, because wow. she believes in how important it is. That's great. Yeah, I. I a lot of things fell into place for me. It's very fair to say that. It was a lot of luck and a lot of right place, right time. And then, you know, add into the fact that I had a book about 
that started with the words fuck you to anyone who voted for Donald Trump and people wanted to talk to me on podcasts suddenly. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, let me let so, me ask you. I, I think there, there's probably a lot of people out there who are interested in writing. We got a creative, intelligent audience. What's the process for and I'm interested in it. So if they're not, you know, fuck you, it's my show. <laughs> uh, what what's the process for self-publishing? Uh, self-publishing is easier than it's ever been. Um, if you make a manuscript and follow the guidelines of like, you know, paper size and everything like that, you can publish in no time. Uh, create space is Amazon's publisher. And if you fit within their, uh, formatting, you can publish for free. So it's very easy to self-publish these days. I mean, they have services where they, they'll edit your book for a certain amount or whatever. But if you, if you just want to write a book that's 17 chapters saying fuck you to Donald Trump, for instance, it, all you have to do is format it correctly. Yeah. And I, like I said, I just happened to meet an independent publisher uh, because they edited my book. And you know the, the first one, The PC Lie, was technically self-published, but it was worked on by a publisher. And then from there, I said, I really appreciate what you do. Would you mind publishing my books from now on? And she said that in exchange for not being able to do any marketing or anything, because it's a very small publishing firm, she's like, you should still publish on CreateSpace, but you can have, you know, use, use our publisher logo and I'll edit and format and get everything ready to go for you. So you don't have the unfortunate stigma that self-publishing has because it has been, you know, uh, formatted and set ready to go by a publisher but you can use CreateSpace so you can just get however many copies you want and do all the work yourself. Yeah, so that's I, awesome. But it, it also gives me the freedom to not worry about creative control or you know a publisher editing out stuff from my books. I write what I want to write. Amber edits it and doesn't change any of the creative content unless she feels that you know that like there's a plot hole or something doesn't make sense and she'll bring that up before she changes it or edits it out. So I have a very good relationship with her, and that's part of the reason that I've been able to write so much is I have an idea, I write it, I send it to her, and then you know it, the process just takes a couple of weeks, whereas with a major publisher, you can spend a year or two just on that process. Are you working on anything right now? I just put out a new book, so I, I'm resting a little bit. Um, I just put out a new book called uh, Passing Cars, The Internal Monologue of a Neurodivergent Trans Girl. And the point of that book was to look at different parts of my life, kind of like what we're doing right now, and retrospectively analyze them, comparing the context of the current time with how I was feeling at the time. So one example is I wrote the story of when I ran away from home at 15. And of course, now I understand that I was not treated for autism and struggling with my gender identity. But at the time, uh, you know, my thought process was completely different. So uh, the book is a series of essays uh, looking back at different times in my life, both long ago and even, uh, you know, a few months ago when I like when I performed at the vagina monologues, for instance, I was the first trans person in 17 years of the UPenn vagina monologues to perform in their show. So, you know, looking back at that even a few months, just a few months later is a really big deal to me. And I've learned a lot from standing in a room full of 70 other women and just hearing their stories. Because before that show, everybody, it was just a, a safe space, a community 
where everybody who was, was just feeling anything felt like they could say something. So that's a good example. And then I also, like all my books, I always have other writers contribute. Um, I always have several people write essays within the theme of the book. So, you know, PC Lie had about eight people contribute immediate reactions from the election. Uh, my novels within the theme, I had four or five people write essays on the novel theme. And this most recent one, I had people do the same thing I did, which was look back at a difficult time in their life and compare it with what they were thinking then. Hmm. Well, so well, since we're here, why don't you name, uh, are these books still in print? Can people get them or are they, once you move on, is it kind of you're on to the next thing? Oh, they're definitely available. Uh, one one way to get them is uh, riskmccool.com, my website, and they're all on Amazon. Just Marissa, Alexa, McCool, all five of them will come up. Uh, the first one uh, was that uh, post-election one called The PC Lie, How American Voters Decided I Don't Matter. Uh, the I have two novels. One is called False Start, and that's the story. Uh, that's a story about coping with mental illness and someone uh, being trans in a conservative area in the early 2000s, which I might be able to relate to. <laughs> and then... <laughs> hey, they the say other... write what you know, I, you know. <laughs> And the other one, uh, the other novel I have is called Voice in the Dark. And that was basically a love letter to 80s and 90s counterculture media, like uh, Pump Up the Volume, Heathers, uh, Empire Records, uh, a lot of styles that I feel aren't created anymore. Uh, I decided to write a novel basically in that style in a modern day setting, uh, just using a lot of the tropes that kind of disappeared after 9-11 and counterculture wasn't acceptable anymore mainstream. Hmm. Um, then I have a book called Silent Dreams. That's just a compilation of essays and poetry, including the piece I wrote for the vagina monologues. And like I said, the most recent one is uh, Passing Cars, and that one just came out a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So you mentioned, again, you're a walking segue creator. It's awesome. <laughs> you, you, it's you, almost like I do this for a living. Yeah, you, you mentioned the movie Pump of the Volume. That's that Christian Slater uh, am I? That's the right movie, right? Yep. Okay, that is an awesome movie. Is your interest in that um, kind of what led you to be interested in in podcasting? One hundred percent. Yes. Was, yeah, that was <laughs> that was the movie I saw at seventeen when I was just full of righteous fury, but without the education to back it up. And I just wanted to scream into the microphone and say, "Is anybody else see what's wrong here?" And that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. Except, you know, I just suddenly had a reason for people to listen to me once I wrote a book that said, fuck you to Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so what are your, you do, I mean, you do have, look, we're, I got my hands full with this one goddamn show. I can't imagine <laughs> having multiple. What, yeah. what, uh, what are the shows that you do? You're still doing inciting incident. Mm -hmm. And what are the others? Okay. So inc inciting incident for those who didn't listen to the two interviews that I've done with you, uh, is a weekly show that's, very much interview based. We don't often do shows that don't have an interview, but it, it's very much based on getting a lot of emotional depth out of people and having them tell their stories or talk about a very particular issue. And even people who say, well, I'm not really much of an emotional person. It tends to get pretty in depth. And I'm pretty proud of the fact that I that I can create a space uh, with my co-host, Bethany, that people feel like they can do that. Um, my second show is called The Sister Getting Out of Hand, and it's a... Uh, it's <laughs> we a we are. We are getting out of hand. It's fucking true, so... Yeah. 
as as we just posted on the Facebook page, if you don't think the cis are out of hand, the cis made the emoji movie. Case closed. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, that show, the whole point of it is that it's by trans people for trans people. We don't, you know, every guest that we have is trans. Uh, me and my co-host Ari Stillman, who is also the co-host of the Gaytheist Manifesto with Callie Wright, uh, is a non-binary person. And every guest we have is trans. And and differently from um, the inc- the inciting incident, sometimes we we don't have just podcasters or content creators. We just have someone who has a story. Uh, we had someone who has the experience two two different people actually who have the experience of being homeless and trans, and that is a story we can't tell because we don't have that experience. And you know, it being trans in America is difficult enough. Being homeless and trans is a completely different world. Those are voices that deserve to be heard and platforms that need to be made, which is why me and Callie started a a visibility initiative to help bring uh, more platforms to trans people. But uh, that's... I, I call that show Trans Happy Hour because, you know, cis people go to bars. I bitch about the cis for an hour with Ari Stillman. <laughs> and the other show that I created uh, is called We Too. And the reason I created that was, you know, the, the Me Too thing. There were so many people that I saw saying things like, I can't believe how many people I know who said Me Too. I had no idea. And a lot of us, especially trans people, are sitting there going, we've been telling you for fucking years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've been- you're just paying attention now. Well, I, listen, and, I'm I'm among them. I am among <laughs> that group that was like, "What in the fuck is happening right now?" Because I, I didn't, I wasn't plugged into that. That I don't think like that. I wasn't abused, and it was, it was an eye opener. It was shocking. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that this really caught people's attention, and we're actually seeing the effects of it now because uh, women, trans people, and Men have been saying there there are problems here or they've been coming out with their stories and they've just been dismissed or paid off or just have to go through an unbelievably difficult process to even be paid attention to. And even sometimes that doesn't work. So the point of the We Too podcast is it's an anonymous place to tell your story. And I get emails of people who don't that I don't share names. I don't share anything you know i don't i don't have an intro i don't have an outro i just get on read the story and that's it sometimes it's two minutes sometimes it's seven but that's all it is and the reason i decided to do that was because of so many people saying i had no idea i have no idea what this is like and i decided to create a show not only for people who have been through it so that they could feel like i'm not alone there are other this has happened to other people but also for those who maybe just hear well Roy Moore's been accused of blah 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 and don't just go oh why didn't they just speak up why isn't there a criminal case it's like cuz it's fucking difficult to even get anybody to pay attention yeah especially so, especially in the Roy Moore case when you're a goddamn teenager mhm cuz yeah yeah being a 14 year old means a lot of people are going to listen to you if you uh, say the district attorney uh is is hitting on me that's that that'll go well but what was it you said yeah they would be a, the bunch of people were saying no oh, that would be a good marrying age back then right yeah, uh, <laughs> goddamn so well did they have star 69 back then where you could like <laughs> 
Well, he called me in trigonometry class. Can't you just like call him back? (laughs) Did that not exist? (laughs) Also, seriously, we didn't really talk about that in depth, but the trigonometry class. What in the fuck is Roy Moore (laughs) calling the high school? Uh, hi, this is Roy Moore, the district attorney. I need to talk to Jane Doe. Uh, please get her on the phone. And then she gets on the phone. Hey, honey, what are you doing? I'm in, I'm in I'm fucking <laughs> high school in class. What do you think I'm doing, you creepy old prick? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a child. <laughs> God damn. I'm at school. <laughs> you called me at the school. <laughs> what I do think you, mean, you know what, am I what doing? I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't... Uh, I think I'm getting your cold, Brittany. Uh-oh. I, uh, I don't get it. Well, so anyway, listen. I, I, good, good on you. I think you're doing a great job. You're you're raising awareness and anybody who takes the time, puts in the effort to raise awareness and educate people even if it's through storytelling and your art and your, you know, your visibility. I think that's an awesome thing. Um Thank you. you're 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 a hell of a gal and we're 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 excited that we're connected. We're happy to be to be connected with you. Yes. Um all of those podcasts I assume can be <laughs> Can be just found, found wherever, yeah, wherever fucking podcasts are found. Yep, uh, those are those are the three ones that I host. Uh, I produce two podcasts that I occasionally also speak on. My husband's podcast is specifically for trans men, and that's what it's called for trans men. And I just started producing a show called Secular Soup. Uh, I'm not on that show, but I, but I helped produce it, but I felt like I should get a little plug in there because it's brand new. So when, when do you find time to eat and sleep? Because, uh, Sunday, God damn, (laughs) that is, that is nutty. Yeah. It's one, one benefit of being treated for my autism is that I'm hyper aware of time management. And I'm able to fully utilize that because all the things that used to distract me and not let me focus and everything that used to be like being in the middle of a busy highway, which is why I named the book Passing Cars, because that's the metaphor for the way my brain works. Hmm. Um, Now that I'm capable of the focus uh, that used to elude me, it's very easy for me to go, okay, I'm interviewing with Jesse at 10 o'clock. I have till 9.55 to do X. And mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm just really easily able to manage it because it's 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 like an itinerary in my head all the time down to the minute. And it just kind of works out. Well, let me let me ask you this on a more personal level. Sure. You know, you're 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 out now. Um, you're you're on the hormones. You've moved away from the conservative red area of Pennsylvania. Um how are you doing? Are you are things better? Are you are you in a good place? I really am. Uh, most people don't realize this, but the Twin Cities is one of the most progressive, welcoming areas of the country. Yeah, uh, a lot like Portland or San Francisco. Um, I I volunteer at a bookstore, and on the cash register, it actually says, "Please use gender neutral language when referring to our staff," because a lot of trans people volunteer there. And uh, the, the state and the city has uh, equal protection under the law for trans people. And that's not usual. Um, at my job, my day job, you know, when I'm not doing the eight other jobs I have, but <laughs> uh, my, my job 
the people I work for cannot misgender me and they cannot try to figure out what my dead name is. And I, they, they actually, they, they back me up if one of the delivery drivers, uh, you know, says the wrong thing, which has happened. I've had to correct a few people and say, do I look like a fucking sir to you? Although I don't say it quite like that, Yeah, yeah. but you know, I, I'm lucky. I am really lucky. I am in a good place. I have a wonderful husband and I, I am polyamorous and I live with another partner as well. Uh, it's, uh, we call it trans reason house. There's just three of us trans people who just love a lot. I'm, I'm in a very accepting area. I have a very good job and the degree I have really helped with that. And I try to use the privilege that I've gained as a trans person to help those who don't have that. And the people who, you know, if I get hurt, I can just put it on Facebook and I have 300 people who are sitting there ready to say, you're beautiful. I love you. And I fully recognize that that is not the case for most trans people. And that's why me and Callie Wright started the Trans Podcaster Visibility Initiative so that we could help not only raise visibility for the other trans podcasters within our circle, but so that if a trans person has something to say and they don't have the ability to buy a microphone or have any equipment, we have people on staff, staff, you know, people who are associated that are willing to go, hey, pitch us your idea. We'll help you develop it. Oh, you need a microphone? We'll raise the money and buy it for you. Yeah, that's great. It's awesome. So it, it is listen, anytime anybody is is doing their level headed best, their honest, earnest effort to leave the world a better place than than, than they they were given it, um, it's admirable. And we uh we love you, we appreciate you, and we're we, we were very happy to have you finally on the show. So before we let you go. Is there anything else of the 465 <laughs> different projects you got going that you want to plug or have people follow you? Give some links. Give us your your deets. Sure. Uh, like I said, rismacool.com. Uh, you can find uh, that's a catalog of most of my work. And uh, you can find my books there. Um, podcasts, anywhere you can find podcasts. Inciting Instant, The Sister Getting Out of Hand, uh, We Too, Four Trans Men, Secular Soup. Uh, and if you type my name into podcast apps, uh, you'll find me on all kinds of shows. I've I've been on Gatheist Manifesto, Cognitive Dissonance, Scathing Atheist, God Awful Movies. I've kind of made the rounds for the secular community. And um, you can follow me on Twitter, Riss McCool. Uh, Facebook, you can look me up, Marissa Alexa McCool. I'm I'm out there. I'm not hard to find uh, unless you're an asshole, in which case I'm I'm. I can be found under hashtag Eli Bosnick. Uh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates that. Um, uh, all of that, all of that, we'll put in the show notes, so it'll be easy to find. Um, I would suggest everybody go and subscribe to her show. Her shows, and uh, you know, if you're interested in the books, goddamn, go make a purchase. It is Christmas time. Right. Uh, if you get the shows, if you get the books through my website, I sign them. So, oh, you know, yeah. Just saying. <laughs> Even better. Even better. All right. Well, listen, thank you for coming on. Yes. We thank appreciate you. you. And uh, we hope you have a light filled holiday season.
Thank you so much. It, it's great to finally be on. And I, I appreciate both of you and everything you do. Well, with that, we're going to leave you. Thank you for joining us once again for this very special bonus episode. If you love this content, if you, eh, you're kind of on the fence about it, but you're still a fan, why don't you help support the show, help produce this content? Go to dollamore.com slash Patreon. Or, we just mentioned Amazon, you can go to dollamore.com slash Amazon. If you're going to spend your money on holiday crap anyway at Amazon, why not help fill, uh, Why not help support your favorite show filled with news and ridiculous comment? We will see you next time. For Brittany Page, Marissa Alexa McCool, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.